From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Patrick Henningsen talks on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the program. We're here live and direct for the next two hours on TNT, today's News Talk. Appreciate you guys. And hello to everybody uh, in the TNT chat community. Great to see you in there. We've had a very busy uh, week so far uh, in our community there. It's great to see the numbers building up uh, week in, week out. So really appreciate you guys in there. We'll be interacting with you uh, in due course during the program. Uh, we're going to be joined in the first hour, a very important segment, by the way, Freddie Ponton, independent journalist, our European correspondent, our eyes and ears on the ground in Europe and in Africa uh, as well. Africa is the other area of uh, expertise that Freddie Ponton keeps a close eye on. There's a coup brewing uh, in uh, Senegal. Very, very pivotal, very important Francophone country uh, in Africa. And this is just a carry on of the theme that we saw earlier uh, in Mali, uh, as well as Niger, Burkina Faso. Uh, so looking forward to that conversation. That's going to be very revealing. There's also a Russian element to it, but not in the nefarious way that people in the Western media might not think or may think. Um, so Freddie will get into those details as well. Uh, we're also going to be connecting uh, in the second hour. Uh, we're going to be talking about the whole uh, internet censorship gambit. Um, a lot of this is being handed over to AI at the moment. Why should that concern you? Well, if you knew how powerful these tools are, and you knew the fact that government and big tech uh, can move in, as well as government agencies like the DHS, like the NSA, like the FBI and other law enforcement agencies, someone directly involved, as we learned from the Twitter files, uh, in internet censorship, in censorship of political speech uh, in America, not just in America, but also globally as well. Uh, so we're talking to Mike Benz uh, from the Foundation for Freedom Online about this subject in the second hour. Uh, we may also catch up at some point um, if he's available, Basil Valentine, our roving correspondent. So listen, uh, let's get down to uh, brass tacks uh, in terms of the U.S. Uh, in terms of the primaries uh, right now, uh, we have some a few updates. Uh, quite an amazing thing happened uh, in Nevada. Nevada had its primary uh, on the GOP side uh, in the last couple of days. And what did we find? Nikki Haley didn't perform uh, too well. She didn't perform too well in Nevada. Here's what happened. Um, this is kind of embarrassing, but uh, it's, maybe it's a first. Uh, Nevada is interesting. Um, they have an option on their ballot, which is none of the above. Uh, in the UK, they call this no tau, no tau, none of the above. I do not support any of the above. Um, so that's what Nikki Haley was facing in Nevada. Could she overcome the no tau? Could she overcome the no tau vote? And unfortunately, she didn't. Nikki Haley in Nevada, very important, pivotal swing state. Um, she lost to the no towel vote. Um, that's incredibly embarrassing. I don't know how she's going to recover from that one. Uh, might be a little bit of a knock uh, to her her egos or whatever, but um, she, she didn't quite make the cut there. Uh, so former President Donald Trump um, is not on the primary ballot on Tuesday, and candidates had a choice between participating in the primary uh, and in the caucus, which is organized by Nevada's Republican Party. So they do have that sort of caucus 
option. Uh, but Mr. Trump opted for the caucus where the state's delegates will be awarded. So uh, he didn't really pay attention to the primary itself, opted for the caucus, smart move uh, on Trump's part. Uh, probably he's going to roar home uh, with the result uh, eventually that he's expecting in that state. Um, so that's interesting. So We'll, we'll also get uh, a look at some of the other upcoming primaries as well. Perhaps we'll cover that if we have time uh, in the second uh, hour. But let, let's let's look at the poll closures here. Uh, they did close, I believe, at uh, 10 p.m. Or 10 p.m., that'll be local, uh, Eastern time or Eastern time, 10 p.m. local time, which I believe it's uh, Pacific time zone, uh, and 7 p.m. Eastern standard time. And Tuesday's uh, presidential primary for the Republicans on the caucus front, Donald Trump, yeah, looks like he's got quite a lot of overwhelming support uh, in that state. So that's one to look forward to uh, in terms of the other primaries. The GOP uh, is going to be an interesting race for a while, but with Ron DeSantis dropping out, uh, we're not sure where the challengers are going to be. Are there any challengers? I think Mike Pence might even still be alive in the election. He's still getting a few votes here and there. We're not sure what's going on there. So it looks like it's just Nikki Haley, which isn't much of a contest, uh, actually. So nothing really exciting to report there. Um, however, so February 8th, we've got that uh, Nevada, which has come through, and South Carolina on the 24th of February. That's going to be very revealing uh, because that's Nikki Haley's home state. Will she carry her home state? I doubt it. Uh, she's probably going to get trounced. So what is she doing at this point? Auditioning for a vice presidential position that she'll broker with her deep state donors, uh, where they might impose her on the uh, Trump ticket. That would be extremely dangerous. Would not recommend that at all. Again, getting L LBJ vibes from Haley and also LBJ vibes from Pompeo and the other sort of deep state, uh, uh, you know, vice presidential uh, uh, selections that the establishment would want to impose on a populist presidential candidate like Donald Trump. So um, things will get interesting. March, or uh, we got Michigan at the end of the month as well. That's a key swing state. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what the turnout's like there. Uh, and also we've got Idaho, uh, we've got uh, Missouri, as we said, Michigan, uh, and then a few other states. And then we get up to Super Tuesday. Uh, that's in March, where we have Alabama, Alaska, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Iowa, Maine, Massachusetts, Minnesota, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, and Vermont, and Virginia. So it's pretty much done and dusted uh, at that point. Uh, it's going to be done and dusted long before that, I think, uh, when it comes to Donald Trump securing the nomination. So the lawfare is going on in the background. So that's another thing to keep an eye on. Joe Biden uh, was wearing uh, a Ukrainian tie uh, when he was doing his recent address, uh, somewhat controversial. And his choice of apparel was called a sick psychological move by Vivek Ramaswamy who is now the chief Trump surrogate. President Joe Biden's decision to wear a tie uh, which matches the colors of Ukraine is truly bewildering, given that Vladimir Zelensky has never done anything like this uh, to show his support for Washington, despite the hundreds of billions of dollars 
uh, he's managed to parlay uh, with his leverage over the Bidens. Oops, did I say that? Maybe not. Maybe yes. Hmm, who knows? The evidence suggests it anyway. Uh, but Biden urged U.S. lawmakers to ram through this $118 billion bill uh, that included $60 billion, a nice wedge uh, for Zelensky. That will keep him uh, in uh, skiing on the slopes for at least a couple of more months. Uh, it also includes $20 billion for border security and afterthought, the U.S. southern border. It's just like, yeah, do you have any money left for the U.S. southern border? Yeah, we got a few billion. Yeah, well, just tack that on there. Uh, but, yeah, make sure you've got most of that for uh, Ukraine. Uh, Israel seems to have lost out a bit of cash uh, on this round of welfare. Uh, so that's interesting um, as well. So we'll see. Uh, I, I do think there's a caveat for Israel, and I have to go dig through the bill on this to see. But uh, in typical Washington fashion, uh, you have these omnibus bills, uh, which are ridiculous. But anyway, um, the the leadership there uh, in Washington have made a statement. Uh, Joe Biden's wearing the yellow tie with the blue stripes, and that signals the national colors of Ukraine while he is shilling to give uh, uh, obscene amounts of U.S. money, public money, uh, to a basically an authoritarian uniparty Nazi state in Ukraine. Does that sound crazy and hyperbolic? Am I, am I going a little bit too far in that description? Um, I really don't think so, especially when you have General Zeluzhny, uh, taking uh, social media photos with right sector and the far right trolling Zelensky saying the far right is in power in Ukraine. You're not. We're allowing you to be in power. This is the message that's being sent to Zelensky. So very dangerous times uh, in Ukraine. But uh, truth be known, Zelensky only has himself to blame for accepting the most dangerous acting job in the history of the world to become president of a NATO proxy state. Very dangerous acting job. And the problem with Zelensky is he can't get out of character. He's stuck. It's kind of bizarre in a way. Make a great film in itself. <laughs> a film about a role that he's playing. A, a, a story within the story within the story. This is the life of Vladimir Zelensky. What a shame. Uh, not just for him, but more so for the country of Ukraine. Look at it. It's an absolute basket case. How long can it go in perpetuity uh, relying on uh, U.S. welfare in order just to keep their doors open uh, in government? How corrupt is that? It didn't cost them that much to run the country back before the war. And all of a sudden, they're saying, we need this much money. We need that. We need this. Uh, we need you to pay the pensions of our public servants, uh, etc., Literally a, a complete protectorate, uh, a colony, only that they don't get any financial benefit of it, unless it's just for money laundering. For that, Ukraine is great. It's a great money laundering destination. Uh, but be beyond this, uh, it is really a drain on Europe uh, in the United States. What are, what are they planning to do? Do they really think they're going to bring Russia to its knees in the next couple of months? with the F-16s or whatever they're planning, uh, whatever asymmetric attacks, terrorist attacks they're planning, NATO members like the U.S. and the U.K., whatever they're planning on the Kerch Strait Bridge or attacks on Crimea, it, do you really think that's going to make a difference and move the needle on the ground? It doesn't look like it. It doesn't look like it. So what game are we playing here, NATO? What game are we playing? Do you have an end game or is your end game World War Three?
Fair question. Let's take a break. And we'll be back on the other side with Freddie Ponton, independent journalist, to talk about the coup in Senegal, the reshaping of Africa, the post-imperialist Africa, all this and more coming up. I'm Patrick Henningsen. Stay there. TNT's Pervoye Morich. He details factually how Russia is rolling out the algorithm ghetto, um, you know, the, the, the multipolar edition of the algorithm ghetto a prototype of a traffic light that records traffic violations by a pedestrian at a crossing was tested in Moscow. So Russians now, they'll they'll have a, the government will take a snapshot of their face and then run that through the databases to figure out who is who and then find them, uh, I suppose. Uh, and then, you know, he, he points out that there are a lot of developments now. Moscow 2030, it's, it's uh, they want to make uh, Moscow achieve smart city status uh and there's just you know you look at the white papers moscow and russia are all in on agenda 2030 smart cities algorithm ghetto digital ids pervoy morich on today's news talk tnt this is generally the view of people oh we don't know much about assange well you should know because whether you know it or not, he is fighting for you. For your courage and leadership and tenacity in journalism and publishing. Since 2010, Assange has been held in progressively narrower, darker, colder and crueler spaces. He has been detained since the 7th of December 2010 in one form or another. And we are now here after years of imprisonment. WikiLeaks is a non-state hostile intelligence service. I think the man is a high-tech terrorist. A high-tech terrorist. A traitor, a treasonist. He has to answer for what he has done. Assange faces up to 175 years in prison for publishing classified documents exposing U.S. war crimes. The U.S. government narrative about Julian is a complete fraud. It is a complete fraud from A to Z. Julian took on the most powerful countries in the world, basically all of them. We now have confirmed that there were plans to kidnap Julian here in the center of London, or even assassinate him. No one who instigated that illegal and immoral war has been brought to justice. But the great truth teller sits behind bars. If wars can be started by lies, peace can be started by truth. Julian Assange is a hero. What if everything we thought we knew about somebody was a lie? Would we be willing to go on a new journey of understanding? This is a story of deception, lies, bravery, and a man who risked everything to bring the truth to light. Mr. Assange shows all the symptoms that are typical for a person that has been exposed to psychological torture over a prolonged period of time. He looked at me intensely and said, I hate to say this. He then hesitated, visibly troubled and searching for words. And then he finally said, please, save my life. May future generations have the ability to speak without restraint. 
May our children and their children know truth and have access to information that leads to justice. Wherever Julian goes, free speech goes with him. If there is a bird that is about to take flight, stretch her wings and rule the skies, may it be a pista and no longer a bald eagle. If you think Assange is a traitor, he's a rapist, he's a narcissist, he's a hacker, I don't blame you because you have been deceived. And if you think you've not been deceived, that's normal because otherwise you wouldn't be deception. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back. It is Wednesday. We are still in the first hour of this live broadcast. I'm Patrick Henning, senior host. Thank you for joining us here on this mission. Over the next two hours, we're going to bring you news and analysis from around the world. Uh, let's hop over to Europe right now and also down to the African continent. I want to welcome onto the program our uh, de facto default our European correspondent, Freddie Ponton, independent researcher and journalist based uh, in France. Freddie also keeps a very, very close eye on what's happening down below Europe uh, in the massive continent of Africa. Freddie, welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much for having me, Patrick. It's good to be on the show. And Freddie, uh, you know, the news broke uh, about yet another coup uh, brewing. Uh, you'll give us an update of where we're at with this story in a very, very important country called Senegal, uh, one of the biggest francophone countries, uh, one of the most you know huge, massively populated metropolises uh, in Dhaka. So in Dakar, so this is a massive uh, news story here. Uh, give us the lowdown on this latest. Is this a continuation of what we've seen in Niger, Mali, Burkina Faso uh, over the last few months? Well, it, it could it could appear that way. I, I think that everybody's still under under the shock uh, in Senegal, and uh, I've been kind of looking into the the price, the the very little information we're getting. As you know, the internet was cut for a long period of time. You know, prior to the uh, announcement of the postponement of this presidential election to a, a later stage, probably in December the fifteenth, uh, if I understood that correctly. But really, what's interesting. It's unexpected. Senegal is not known for instability. Actually, Senegal and the Senegalese people proud themselves of not being a banana republic. They're very proud of that because since their independence, if you look at the independence from the, uh, the French colony, which took place uh, around 1960, and uh, there were about three years of bit of a turmoil. So it's really stabilized around 1963 when the republic basically was instituted. And when you look at that and you understand that since 1963, there has been absolutely zero coup d'etat and zero put postponement of, of presidential election. Everything has been done on schedule as per the constitution uh, of Senegal. So it's something that, uh, you know, the, the Senegalese are very proud of. And uh, obviously we, we saw some turmoil in, uh, in 2021 and then again in 2023 uh, with uh, an opposition that's uh, obviously represent uh, the will of the people, an opposition that represent the will of the street. 
uh, of Dakar and the rest of the countries as well. And uh, I think it's very important to start this conversation by the demographic on explaining that uh, Senegal sorry, is in a very interesting country because out of 18 million inhabitants, uh, you get 50% of that population uh, that is under 19 years old, Patrick. Very, very young population. And the, the, the word on the street for the last past few years has been, we want to see change. So to answer your question as whether this is in the continuity of what we saw in Niger, uh, in Burkina Faso, in Mali, and so on, of course, this has an influence on the youth. That There is this always when you're young, this, uh, this kind of desire of independence and, you know, going for new adventure, perhaps trying new scenario, having new partners, you know, but more importantly, having a future. And I think that today still Senegal is a country that suffers from many crises. There are still people that live under the soil of poverty and it is extremely important for their democratic rights, which they've been used to, to be respected. And we can see that this, uh, really this constitutional coup or this institutional coup, let's, let's put it that way, has uh, obviously raised concern not only domestically, but also internationally, Patrick. And uh, it's worth noting as well that uh, the uh, economic uh, community of West African states, uh, ECOWAS, a number of countries have left recently or signaled they're leaving, namely Mali, Burkina Faso, Niger, uh, and a lot of other countries in that West African bloc panicking now because ECOWAS is falling apart. And Nigeria, of course, is freaking out. Uh, because they say, well, they're the most powerful country in that union. Um, so, of course, it's in their interest to want to keep it together, to use it as a liver of control um, and to their benefit. Or the West can work through Nigeria to control ECOWAS and West Africa like they do with Brussels. Um, so where does Senegal sit on this? Because I think this is a big alarm bell for Washington. They're freaking out about the potential fracture and collapse of ECOWAS. Uh, where is Senegal in that? Well, in that it's very, very, very clear that uh, the pressure coming from outside, you mentioned the United States, we saw some senators coming out with some very strong statements about, you know, uh, looking at stability and making sure that uh, the democratic process is respected. So they cannot play double card on this one. It's just too volatile. You get uh, 50%, 9 millions of young people, you're telling them that they cannot have a normal election and they got to believe the stunts that has just been put in front of their eyes. It's not going to work. It's going to end up on the street and it's going to get bloody. So the United States know that France, Germany, all the countries that have some interests in Senegal, uh, even Russia has really sent some message, you know, appealing the government to respect basically the, the constitutional uh, right of the people of Senegal. Now, ECOWAS has a very, very delicate position, and it's good to mention them because they've actually came out uh, yesterday with a statement, you know, expressing basically the, the need to go back to uh, constitutional law and making sure that uh, these elections are, are taking place and not abusing the system, the legal system, or even the constitution itself, you know, to, uh, to, to buy sometime, whatever the reason is. Uh, so ECOWAS has to play a very cautious card here because with the stand they put in Niger, uh, as you mentioned, they've lost already three members and this kind of uh, move can be very contagious for the region. So uh, they don't want to lose Senegal because Senegal is a very stable 
stable country. It's a bit of a model, if you will, in West Africa. And uh, surely uh, with the late uh, discovery of, uh, uh, you know, natural resources in the region, this country will definitely play even a much bigger role. So everybody's extremely cautious because, you see, uh, nature hates, you know, uh, vacuums. They, they hate, you know, emptiness. <laughs> and, and if they don't fill that gap, someone will. So that's where we are at the moment. I think what's really interesting here is really to understand that this uh, election was very popular, very anticipated. We recall 79 uh, a candidacy, which was presented so there were 79 people presenting themselves for uh, for the for the job for the top job and in january uh, earlier this year only 20 were selected the problem is there was two major opposition leaders i was missing one is very well known his name is uh, usam uh, uh, usman sorry uh, sonko and the other one is karim wadi karim wadi is simply the son of the former senegalese president uh, abdullahi wadi and uh, this is really interesting by the way for a little anecdote if you're interested but uh, we we saw it and we all remember and especially the senegalese will remember very well in 2011 when um, uh, Abdullahi basically was uh, on the verge of uh, departing and leaving his throne uh, to uh, uh, to Macky Saleh, the current president of, of Senegal, uh, which has now uh, basically had two terms. Uh, uh, there were some tensions about and discussions about potentially postponing this election. And Macky Saleh himself told that, well, if you postpone the election, this will be a, a, a direct challenge, will become a banana republic, because this is not something you do in Senegal, and this would not be welcome, and more least would not be constitutional. And here we are, you know, 12 years later, uh, and we have these guys doing exactly what he was describing, you know, 12 years earlier. So as you see, sometime, politics uh, and 12 years of presidency change a man and i think maki salias has certainly changed no doubt now we need obviously to see really what's really going on because senegal politic domestic politics is very conservative uh it doesn't take big positions if you will it's, it's a very open dialogue kind of form of politics uh, this is not washington dc if you will in a certain way this is more open dialogue even if you have enemies you keep basically the dialogue going and that is reflected as well in the form of diplomacy that senegal is applying around the world we saw them especially during the vote uh, for the sanctions against russia where they could have simply go along with the program but they didn't they actually abstain. And that is really significant from the way uh, policy and diplomacy and politics is conducted the Senegalese way. So they postponed the election uh, for 10 months. Uh, ECOWAS, the uh, Economic Community of West African States, they're going crazy. They're saying, no, 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 you can't do that. You need to have the elections. We demand you have the elections. Uh, so right now we have this uh, postponement. And so what is the status there? Is, is there going to be a military caretaker government? We see also Israeli arms dealers lining up. That's an interesting story, which you exposed on your ex Twitter thread, uh, Freddie. Uh, so, you know, what are we looking at here? What What is the status right now of the government? Where is the military right now in proximity uh, to the control of, of the country? Uh, what What's your reading of the current status? 
Well, the current status in terms of security is simply we, we saw uh, on Monday basically uh, the riot police uh, coming into the, uh, the, 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 the parliament, to the assembly, the national assembly, uh, because simply uh, at the announcement, if you will, there's a couple of things that happened last Saturday. Uh, this is when Macky Sally, the current president, announced that uh, he will postpone the election. Then it was, they've been working on a report, you know, to, to be able to explain the reason of this postponement and make a decision whether this will take place in August uh, this year or at a later stage in December the 15th. So the decision was not really made, but uh, it was actually made. The report was actually completed before even they came to the National uh, Assembly. And that created a huge tension because they say, how come you made a decisions already in such a small amount of time? And the decision to not actually postpone them until August, which might have been negotiable perhaps, but to, uh, to postpone them until December the 5th and was made because, and if you read the report, it's quite unbelievable. They say that it was postponed because of uh, the climate because it's the rainy season in August in Senegal, and a lot of people will not be given the opportunity to make it to the voting booth. So they thought like, well, climate change, perhaps, you know, that's a good <laughs> reason. Enough. Now, we'll postpone it six months, and if you come back in December, we'll see what we get. However, when we look into the, the terms and the verbiage, it's very important here, Patrick, and we see that what the announcement on Monday was made, there was no announcements of postponement. I've read it a couple of times, I double-checked it because I found it very bizarre that the word postponement was not there. And what we are saying here is that actually is repealing the possibility uh, of actually a presidential vote to take place. That's not a postponement. That's something different. You're repelling basically the right for the electoral body to come together for an election. So you're basically taking away the right from people to decide uh, or, you know, and to exercise their, their civil duty. Uh, and and that's, uh, that's, that's very insulting for, for the Senegalese, of course. So that into context, of course, you gather uh, whatever's left of the opposition, because many have been thrown in jail, and we'll talk about that in a moment, especially the, the top leaders uh, of the opposition. But are, we, we, uh, we, we can clearly see that what's left of the opposition and the MPs were trying to say, no, this is a coup. They really felt, you could see how it works. It becomes actually, I would say violent, but it, be, it becomes physical. People say, no, I'm protecting that desk. I'm not going anywhere. Nothing is going to sign. Nobody's going to approve anything. And they had to be removed by force. And when that happened, it's a coup. It's nothing else. It's a coup. You want to call it everywhere. Everybody's trying to be polite about it, but that is a coup, okay? Because the constitution does not allow in any way, artic uh, I think it's Article 130 in the, the Senegalese constitution clearly states that you cannot postpone the election for any whatsoever reason, you know, even on the emergency reason, I think you can't either. It has to be happening on time, on schedule. So yeah, very they, interesting. Yeah. They, haven't, uh, they haven't postponed an election in the history of the uh, country. No, uh, in fact. 1963, so, since 1963. Is pretty amazing since since they've gained independence. So this is massively historic. Uh, in fact, it, it, it is historical. But we we saw the, the win the win of change, Patrick. We saw that already in 20, uh, 2021. And I think uh, when we saw uh, Usman Sonko, which simply has won the heart of the of the youth, and uh, and and they know today 
clearly there's absolutely no doubt that Macusali and his uh, and his camp they, they cannot win this election not not even close uh, because the youth understand that they have to take their responsibility this is a country that is well educated uh, this is not a banana republic. There's a people that knows what they're doing. There's a lot of the well-educated people. There are a lot of people that have been connected, that have studied in France or other countries as well. Many people are bilingual, trilingual. Uh, no, you get quality, you get engineers, you get a lot of things going on in this country. It's a rich country. It's 80% uh, self-autonomous as far as food security is concerned. So that's very important. So they only import a little bit. They import from uh, Russia and Ukraine the wheat. So Ukraine and Russia is very important for Senegal. I think 9% of the import come from Russia. And Senegal is the second uh, uh, principal partner uh, uh, of Russia in the uh, uh, sub-Saharan countries behind South Africa. So it is an important country. Uh, so very interesting to, to have this number in, in, in mind because uh, when you put this puzzle together, which we're still working on, you know, we look back, we look at what happened, we saw, obviously, the harassment. Uh, they went really after Usman Sonko, this young leader that has a very, very amazing, basically, uh, story uh, uh, coming, working uh, for the Treasury and uh, ending up really all the way as a, as a top leader in the countries, you know, uh, in a verge of, of, of being in a position to win this election. It's quite incredible, you know, but uh, the youth is behind him, but he's been uh, basically taken down on many occasions. They've tried to uh, manufacture as many cases against him for rape, for uh, death threats and so on. But uh, he was vindicted eventually on June the, uh, the 1st, 20, uh, 23rd. He was acquitted, actually, of all charges. But anyone came back to him on January 24th. So you can see how they, they don't let this guy go. They don't want him to even make it to the list so that he can be considered as a potential candidate. And they put him in jail for another six months and on and on. So as we speak, the guy is still in jail. Uh, but uh, he's a very interesting guy. And I tell you why it's very interesting, because I'm was wondering why are they going after these guys, apart from the fact that he's very popular with the youth. Is there anything else that perhaps that we should know? So I've, you know, I like digging a little bit. And what I've realized is that uh, uh, Usman Sanko, uh, is the president of a party which was obviously completely demolished by the uh, by the main and the current uh, presidential party because they want to see him around, but uh, especially because he's been actually pointing the finger at corruption. And he actually wrote a book. He wrote a book about uh, um, oil and gas and the corruption that is taking place by the government and how they're enriching themselves with the natural resources which has been discovered, especially uh, very substantial, actually huge immense uh, deposit of gas in Senegal offshore. So he's already, uh, uh, you know, kind of wrote a book about that. I think he was in 2018, if I'm not mistaken. And that has created, obviously, a, a, a lot of, if you will, tension uh, amongst the, uh, uh, the elite, if you will, those that were used to be, you know, kind of electing <laughs> each other, if you will, with the blessing of France and perhaps other actors but uh, he's an uh, he's an outcast if you will he's an uh, kind of a is uh, the underdog but it's an underdog that is not scared of speaking he actually went to france to play charges against Macky Sale for crime against humanity i guess they didn't treat him well in prison to say the least uh, but uh, they've done a lot of misery to this poor guy and he's coming back and it's of course this uh, this young generation is fully 
Uh, I wouldn't say all of them, perhaps that would be exaggerated, but a, a large proportion of them uh, are behind him. And that's really scaring the hell out of the, the elite at the moment. And they don't know how to stop it because what are they going to do? Are they going to be now showing to the world that Senegal is a banana republic? That's going to basically make them look terrible. Now they cut the internet. They basically cancelled a lot of journalism, a lot of uh, television channel, uh, a lot of censorship took place uh, also on various social media and so on. So that prior this very important, you know, ahead a few days before this uh, election was uh, supposed to be announced and it was due to happen on the 25th of February, you know, in two weeks time, uh, it went dark. People could not communicate. People could not gather. People could not protest. Could not organize themselves. They cut and the. So they cut the they, internet. Yeah, they, they cut, cut the internet. They, yes, they cut the and, internet. Uh, yeah. So that's uh, that's something uh, obviously that people are looking at, and it just looked bad. It looks bad for anyone that has been supported Macky Sally. We know the French government has been supporting Macky Sally uh, mm. for a uh, for a while. And that's also something as well that might have played uh, a role. And I think that nobody has talked about it, but uh, I would like to touch upon that because I think it's important as well. Let's, but, uh, let's hold that. Let's hold that till after the break, Freddie. We'll hold that till after the break. I want to talk about the geopolitics. I want to know where uh, France is as a former Francophone country. France is losing its grip on Africa. All of its uh, lovely colonial possessions are slipping away. And where is the United States and Russia and China uh, on Senegal and West Africa specifically, because that's where the big great power competition is. I want to hear about that on the other side from independent journalist Freddie Ponton. You're watching and listening TNT today's news talk. We'll be right back after these messages. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. So I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, because I'm doing a climate roundtable tomorrow. I'm assuming that the network that invited me on is probably the only network that's left around this part of the country that actually allows climate skeptics to be on. It'll be interesting because I'm sure there are going to be some people there to challenge me. In any case, when I walked into the hotel, the person at the front desk was from Adelaide, Australia, the city of churches. See, I learned something, right? And I got to thinking that maybe tomorrow I will spring on the people that are there for almost unprecedented climate events that have occurred around Australia that are very, very important around the climate. Now, not directly with Australia, but north of Australia. The typhoon season, despite the fact that we supposedly had an El Nino going, was way, way below normal. Third lowest ever. That's very unusual. And that was the first hint that this El Nino wasn't what it was cracked up to be. As a matter of fact, the Southern Oscillation Index, which is the longest running metric of the El Nino, never got into El Nino category this year until now. But that was unprecedented when you had what we call the Oceanic Nino Index being so strong. That's two unprecedented things. Number three, the crash that is occurring in the Southern Oscillation Index is going to be the greatest on record from January to February. In fact, it may be the greatest on record from one month to another. It is unprecedented to see January with an above SOI and then February 
crashing the way this is. Now, in 1978, we had a weak El Nino going, and then it crashed in February. By the way, they had all those floods in Los Angeles in 78. How about that? The fourth thing, the unprecedented warming of the ocean just to the east of Australia in a month or two. See that? Tonight's climate and weather watchdog was all about Australia. It's because I ran into someone from Adelaide. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastoni asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. Food isn't just fuel to live, it's fuel to grow. My family relied on public assistance to help provide meals for us. These meals fueled my involvement in theater and the arts as a child, which fostered my love for acting. The Feeding America network of food banks helps millions of people put food on the table. When people are fed, futures are nourished. Join the movement to end hunger and together we can open endless possibilities for people to thrive. Visit feedingamerica.org slash act now. Speaking on the issues that impact. This is the Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio. All right, folks, welcome back. We're still in the first hour of this live broadcast. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. Thank you for rejoining us here at today's News Talk. It is Wednesday. We're getting into geopolitics in a big way uh, with the biggest country or one of the biggest countries in Africa, Senegal. Uh, is a coup brewing? Uh, where are things sitting politically, geopolitically as well? You have the great powers vying for influence and control over the African continent. This is a major piece of the pu- of the puzzle, as is some of the other big West African states like Nigeria, but Senegal is a potential emerging power uh, in the African political and geopolitical landscape. Uh, joining us right now to discuss this is independent researcher and journalist from France, Freddie Ponton, joining us on the line right now. And Freddie, before the break, you mentioned uh, the specter of uh, that little man in the suit from Elysee Palace, uh, Emmanuel Macron, uh, America's uh, little corporate uh, coffee boy. Uh, he's uh, milling about what's going on there. How's this going to affect uh, the the political situation in Senegal? Well, I think it's quite clear. You, we, you know, we can call Macron anything, but stupid is one, not one, one of them. Uh, he's, a, he's someone that calculates everything. You know, he's not very good at many other things, but that he knows how to calculate. Is a banker. And uh, the calculation is very simple. I think uh, looking at the poll, looking at a couple of projections, it was quite clear that Macky Sally will never be elected president. He doesn't have the support. And the person that he was bringing forward, which we'll talk about in a moment, is someone that simply has not managed to create a consensus around himself. Someone that has not been able to gather the troop to be successful, to be appealing enough so that when the election uh, campaign and, and the presidential campaign come around, he, 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 could, uh, he could be uh, uh, placed as the next president, uh, according to the wish of Macky Sally and perhaps the wish of uh, uh, Emmanuel Macron and, and his presidency. So I think what the calculation was is that uh, they needed to keep uh, in touch with uh, the opposition. So if you wanted to know who's the real the real threat to Macky Sally, well, you just have to look at where Macron is going to send his emissary and his ambassadors, uh, and they send him straight away to uh, uh, Usman, uh, Usman Sanko. So clearly, Usman Sanko is the man to watch and is the man that has the popularity to the point that uh, Nadej Choua, which literally she's the number one, uh, number two, sorry, of the Elysee Palace for the Africa department, and she's very close to Macron. So when Macron wants something done, on the side in Africa, she's the one that he signs. So we know when she goes, it's about having a you know a private conversations, 
let him know that Macron is going to be supporting him, you know, if, if you know, this is the way the election is going to go and he wants to entertain a good relationship with him and so on. You know, keeping the thing smooth because a, a lot of countries are, are watching, you know, a lot of watching. So what I'm saying here, it's really interesting because it outlined two things. First, there was no candidate suitable to win these elections, which will be basically a continuing uh, what Macky Sally has done over the last past 12 years. Okay. So there's no real uh, descendants, if you will, in this, uh, in this political track. There's no one to follow. And that's basically the weakness. So people are trying to understand, but why would he postpone it? Is it because uh, he's, uh, he's just another greedy African leaders? You want to stay, the money is good, the power is, you know, a kind of a make him feel, uh, feel good, a young man. No, it's not about that. It's because he wants to go, but there's no one to ensure the business behind it. Because uh, Macky Saleh has been involved with a lot of business, with a lot of countries, and Senegal is a rich country, as I said, and especially with this new uh, uh, gas and uh, very, really huge uh, reserve of, of gas offshore uh, Senegal. Uh, a lot of pe people literally starting to flock it into the, in the country and, and literally starting to, uh, to sign contracts. So, of course, you can sign as many contracts as you want. You can promise as much as you want. But the next president, if he's not one of your guys, you might not get paid. <laughs> Simple as that. Now, I'm not saying that this is a, a full-time corruption job. Of course not. But what I'm saying is that these kind of deals involve, you know, backhands there's no doubt about it so we needed to look at who actually really was one of the first to go there as soon as the gas was discovered and he was open for business and funny enough who we found there in 2022 actually in may 2022 to be uh, precise is olaf scholz the chancellor mm -hmm. of germany chancellor of germany is going to fly official visit going to meet directly with Macky sally and what are they going to talk about they're going to talk about gas because uh, Germany is basically uh, has cut its relationship with with, uh, with the Russians. Nord Stream pipeline is uh, you know is a is a is a, is a souvenir, uh, and in November it needs gas. Right. So the idea that uh, Germany never needed gas and wanted to go to a renewable, okay, fair enough. But at the end of the day, they still need a lot of gas. So cutting Russia is one thing, but they need to go and get gas. Now gas in Senegal is good. Is good because maritime routes are very easy for Germany. They can put a tanker outside there. It's rather straightforward, but they got to wait for the production to start. Now, we know from the numbers and from the report, which I, I read a little bit, uh, that the production was starting to come in 2023, late 2023. And it might have had a couple of delays as well attached to that. So, which means that by the time we go to the elections, no gas has really kind of actually reached the shore of Germany, Not no real big deal has produced anything and the president is about to leave the shore. Uh, that's bad business for someone that has worked for years to get that and to get his, you know, let's, let's put it together, his, his, his bonus for, the, for his departure. So uh, I think, that, you know, without being too insulting to the man, I think there is a lot of business under the table that is done here, what is for gas. As you mentioned earlier, as we saw a lot of uh, uh, contractors in the defense industry as well, extremely interested in Senegal with companies like Adi Consultants, the Adi Consultant Groups. We knew them, I knew them when they were in Abu Dhabi, but they're very, they're very prominent in Africa. They're actually very specialized in West Africa. The reason because the president 
of Adi Khan's is Moroccan. He's Moroccan. His name is uh, Gabi Gabi Perez. His son is Ori Perez. Uh, they they Moroccan Jews, so they they have uh, probably double nationalities. They can work. They have company in Israel. We track them down. They have holdings, and some of the part of the holdings are owned by Gabi uh, uh, companies as well. Adi Khan. So I've, I've got pretty much that. There was some WikiLeaks as well dump on them. So we have a lot of information about these guys. But what's interesting is they've been very prominent and very focused on Senegal. They've been trying to get very more involved with technology related to the Air Force of Senegal and selling some very expensive technology, especially in the telecommunication and, and communication sectors. And then what they do, these companies, they offer also a, a credit line. I think the credit line that Peretz offered to Macky Sally was around 300 million euros. So for a country that has a terrible balance sheet, you know, it's a lot of debts. And I think the youth is starting to understand that these presidents are basically packing up debts and they are the one that's going to be basically staying behind paying these debts, you know. So they want to be part of that decision mechanism. And I think they can see corruption everywhere. So you get the gas, you get the defense. Uh, it's just too much. And I think that before they ruin, I think they, they want to be heard. And that's, that's what uh, basically uh, uh, Osman uh, Sanko incarnate. Well, I know they have a, a massive LNG project. Uh, this is on the sort of border with Mauritania, uh, Senegal's uh, neighbor to the north. Um, that is the really rich uh, gas area. Then LNG project that would ship li liquefied natural gas uh, for export, uh, obviously to Europe. So, yeah, and it's 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 hit lots of delays. Uh, they're lacking investment. So I can see the European players swooping in, uh, vying for influence, maybe to secure uh, some of that supply. Uh, in the future um so there's also the pipeline projects in africa to bring gas uh from west africa directly into europe but it has to cross through uh let's say hostile territory uh to make it there so there's a lot of deals that have to be made but before we break here we're, we're coming up to the top of the hour where's the geopolitics on this uh because certainly the united states will have its interest you you've talked about france obviously uh, and other European players. Um, but between the US, Russia, and China, where does Senegal sit on that spectrum? Well, for that, you 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 obviously have to look at, in terms of the moment, as I said, it, this is really the, uh, the battle of the corridors, you know, uh, everywhere in the world. The, the world is basically shifting and, and reorganizing its supply chain, if you will. So the balance of the corridors applies as well in West Asia, as well as they apply in Africa. And everyone is going to want to have uh, access uh, to that particular market, point of entry that are basically extremely well, well equipped, you know, that has already have all the necessity to, to welcome bigger trade, but also uh, countries that have uh, stability. Uh, remember when we talked about the BRICS, there's a very important debate about the BRICS. One of the, the main components of the BRICS in terms of for them to choose which candidate uh, is the right candidate for them. Well, a country that is stable, a country that has no coup, a country that has never postponed in the election, a country that has that is the second major partner uh, to Russia, for example, uh, behind South Africa. Uh, I think the export, I was looking at numbers, we're talking about 9% of uh, Senegal export comes from uh, from Russia. 
the domain exports come otherwise 33 percent from uh, uh from um, from europe of course and china is not far behind as well so when you find russia you always find china china is using in the defense sector in west africa they've done very well for themselves and senegal is definitely on their roadmap as well so a lot of commercial interest but also a lot of geopolitical interest in the bigger pictures and i think that definitely i don't say that russia uh, is behind anything there i don't that's not what i'm saying but what i'm saying is that if you look at you know the conflict in ukraine for example and i'm going to make a good analogy so that you can compare that russia didn't have much to do all they have to do is to let nato screw it up they had to let them do the mistakes and now they're going to do more and more mistakes right but russia doesn't have much to do all they have to do is to let them make these mistakes until the natural comes back the natural course of affairs comes back and reality hits back, hits the ground. And that's exactly what they're going to do with Senegal. They're not going to intervene. They're not going to want to get involved in there. They're just going to look at it. They're going to let basically the people decide. And when the people have decided, then they'll come and do what everybody does because that's that's just simple economic relationship and supporting the idea of sovereignty. And I think if you look across the uh, the uh, sub-Saharan belt, all these countries are thriving. They are absolutely really, really uh, thirsty for independence, sovereignty, and stability and, and the corruption. And they want to have good relationship with different options. And I think the BRICS bring the finance, they bring the solutions, and they also bring something outside of the CF. Ah, and Senegal, I know it's been in discussions in the, in the background, but a lot of people want to get out of this French colonial money, and they should. And they should. Mm. That's a big one. And you, you mentioned Senegal is, you know, a pretty formidable agricultural country, um, and they're practically food secure. So uh, Russia provides, you know, the agricultural backing. Uh, that's one of their biggest exports and nitrates, fertilizer, uh, also the technology, the know-how uh, for big farming. Uh, these are all things that Russia excels at, which it's now exporting to other African countries. So that's another thing Russia brings to the table. Uh, the U.S. Brings brings that to the table, but you have to do big deals with Cargill uh, and, you know, Coke <laughs> Industries and all these, and which involve all these predatory financial loan uh, relationships that are all tied up in credit lines and stuff like that. I mean, you know, you know where that leads. Russia is not uh, not offering that type of deal. Um, so that's interesting. And on the defense side, that's also interesting. Uh, yeah, China, Russia have a lot to offer a lot of these countries to get off the U.S. system, to get off U.S. anti-aircraft systems, get off the U.S. system. So otherwise, you know, Washington literally controls your military. People don't realize if you buy from America, you don't just get the gear, you get the staff, you get all the military attaches, you get all the generals. They end up camping there. The British and the Americans move in to, to service their gear. So it's not like you will end up being occupied to some degree and you probably won't even have control of the ammunition. So you get like, yeah, this is what's happening. So the people are like, oh, that's exactly what's happening. System. Yeah. yeah, that is exactly what's happening. But I think really in terms of security, food security is very important for, for Senegal. It's really, for me, on the top of the agenda. You know, I don't think defense is, is a major issue, but uh, 
food security is a big, big thing because obviously we're talking about people, uh, livelihood, people ability to feed themselves. And you don't want a, a famine, you know, when you run a country. That's the last thing you want. That's a nightmare for a president to be responsible for a famine in your country. And that is probably why Maki Sally, uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, abstained uh, at the United Nations, not basically to uh, be in an awkward situation, neither with Ukraine nor, nor, nor with Russia, because they have a very short period for agriculture in terms of growing the crop because of the, the rainy season. They can't miss it. So they need to grow fast and they need a lot of fertilizer. And as I said, these fertilizers come from these two countries. They got to keep it right. They got to keep it safe. So those are the big issues. Freddie Ponton, Africa, keeping an eye on geopolitics and happenings there. Really appreciate you joining us for this update this week on TNT, today's news talk. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen. That is a journalist, Freddie Ponton. Follow him on X Twitter as well. That's where I'm getting all my updates with what's going on in that part of the world where you should be uh, as well. Top of the hour news headlines coming up, and we got a lot of ground to cover on the other side. AI censorship. We got Basil Valentine with the Middle East report, all that and more. So stick around. We'll be back in a few minutes. <laughs> 